This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Well, hello. I'm going to introduce the show today. Um, welcome to Rocks to Roots podcast. Uh, I'm the producer, Brennan, and I'm here with Hillary. How's your How's your week been? My week has been great, and I'm loving that we're switching this up right now because <laughs> I just feel like we needed a little new, new, new. This is what This is what I do in all my podcasts. Like I I start out, I start all of my shows, and so it's very. Um, it feels very natural to me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, we might just have to do this a little bit more often. But um, no, thank you for asking. My week is going great. Uh, today was a beautiful first day of fall. Oh, so yes. um, we're getting into my favorite season. Football's back. Mm. And I'm, I love football so much. I saw you had your fantasy up on your Oh, yeah. I had my fantasy phone. up on yeah, my phone. I, I check it constantly. I have text messages constantly from my friends letting me know all the things that are going on in fantasy football world and uh but yeah every it's fall and is fall your favorite season you know I was going back and forth between summer and fall and I think I am officially officially a fall girl I mean (laughs) I this past weekend I pulled out all my boots and all my sweaters Mm. and I love the whole you know getting to go to the farms and pick pumpkins and just you know it's cold in the morning but then it gets warm in the afternoon and i'm all about that and yeah it's gorgeous you can't beat all of the trees shredding mm-hmm. their leaves and the and gorgeous you, colors you live on the south hill so you get all of that yes it is beautiful to see the transition of the parks um from summer to fall up in the south hill yeah um, it, it is it is very special I, I think spokane for me is like fall i mean fall is the best season and especially if we can get a little longer of warm weather from like in the 70s 60s until like till november if we can get to the 60s in november that's that's amazing i totally agree (laughs) with you that would be fabulous if we could do that but we're probably going to get us get snow and don't even say that in the beginning of october that is is a swear word in my book you don't say the s word especially not now especially if you live on the south hill exactly (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yes now you can see it like my anxiety is Uh, so hillary tell us a little bit about our guests today on rocks roots so uh, today we get to talk with garth davis and ben peterson they are both four within the Spokane Conservation District's Forestry Department. And we talked about a lot of great things. One, we addressed uh, the wildfires that have been happening here in our region and just kind of the district's role with those. We also talk about their FireWise program, which is in full swing right now, and just the other technical assistance programs that they have available to homeowners. We talked about the annual tree sale, which is huge for the district. They're one of their biggest, if not the biggest event of the year. And just and trees. I, I was thinking to myself, this is could have been two shows because you could have talked about, we could have done a Firewise episode and then we could have done a tree sale episode. And I'm sure we'll probably do both of those episodes again someday. But there's definitely a second, a first part where we talk about Firewise and then a second part where we talk about 
the tree sale and some other things that are going on in the in their department who knew so much happened at conservation districts right i know we're just this <laughs> we're this secret entity here in Spokane that has um, a vast variety of programming and resources available. So we're just so happy to be sharing it on this podcast platform lately. It's yeah, I love it. And a lot of acronyms today. Oh, yes. Lots of acronyms. I know. We'll have to put the dictionary up on social media or something. I think we did a good, a pretty good job explaining ever, all, all of them, most of them. Yeah. But, but awesome. Well, let's get into it. Here are Garth and Ben of the Spokane Conservation District Forestry Department. All right. Well, today we are talking with Garth Davis and Ben Peterson from the Forestry Department from the Spokane Conservation District. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today, you two. How's your summer been? Really good. Really good. Yeah. Any trips or any fun things that you've been doing? A lot of camping trips, local stuff. Um, Where do you like to camp? Uh, Love Priest Lake, Sullivan Lake. Yeah, Love Priest Lake. That's my lake, too. Garth, have you done anything fun this summer? We went and hung out on the Oregon coast and made it out before it caught on fire. So. Oh, well, that's that's good. Um, so just to kind of jump into it, I want to know, how did both of you first become interested in boriculture? Did I say that right? Our boriculture? Okay. And um, what really led you to work with the Spokane Conservation District? Garth, I know that you've been known to put the title of tree geek on your resume sometimes. So... <laughs> So I started uh, uh, dealing with trees when I went to SCC and and got a technician's degree at SCC. And then after that, I became a power line clearance tree trimmer. And when I was a power line clearance tree trimmer, I became a certified arborist. And uh, I worked Ice Storm in 96, which was like winning the lottery. And I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree, came back out of school, and uh, went back to work for the company I used to work for as their general foreman and got a, uh, another contract with the Idaho Department of Lands in their community forestry program and worked those for a couple of years. And then this position here at the district opened up and I applied for their forestry managers program. Nice. And so how long have you been here at the district then? Uh, 15 years. Awesome. Wonderful. And Ben, I heard that you actually started out in the water resources department here. Is that true? Or how did you get started here? Um, no, actually, I, I started in the forestry department as an intern. Oh, okay. Um, I did go to school at SCC as well. Got my degree in natural resources. Started working here as an intern. Actually, even before that, I, 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 I take that back. I did start as a just a uh, summer laborer here building oh, a fence. Okay. Um, for the water resource department. But then once I started going to school, I started interning here as a forestry technician. And then um, once I graduated, I worked a couple years with uh, Al Hassan, the old forester here. And then they needed some help with in the water resource department. So I, I shifted. I also did, while I was at uh, SCC, I got a water resource degree as well. So I um, was kind of cross-trained, I guess, a little bit. So I started um, working with them as well as helping Al at the same time. And then once Garth was hired, I kind of went full-time forestry from that point on. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuck with you. He must yeah. have liked you or something, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> well, compared to the water resources program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> 
And then, yeah, I think if you tally it all up, you know, if you had that summer work that I did, but I've been part of the district in one way or another for about 21 years now. Oh, wow. Very cool. So what would you say is the main natural resource concern for the forestry department here at SCD? So a couple of of things come to mind. One is definitely fire. And in our region, another big uh, issue in the forest is development. We lose a lot of our forested lands in Spokane County to development. So that's another you know, we have our insect and disease issues as well. So we've been talking about the wildfires, and obviously it's been a devastating week for our region and across the state and the West Coast with the wildfires that have taken place. So I'm curious as to what really is the SCD's forestry department's role with wildfires in our state before and even after they take place? Um, so one of the big things we do as far as before um, is we we have a program called uh, FireWise, um, and, and it's a, a program where we'll go out and do um, home site assessments for landowners, homeowners, and, and communities, and we're trying to educate landowners, homeowners, and communities about the things they can do around their house to potentially have their, som- their home survive a wildfire. And so uh, we, we try to offer not only things, recommendations with the house itself, but their defensible space around the house. And then if they have forested acreage or forested land around them, things pruning, thinning, recommendations there that they can also do to um, you know, reduce the fire danger and re- reduce the intensity if they ever do have a fire come through. What are some of the main concerns that you'll find typically during those assessments? Um, it's it's uh, all kinds of things. I mean, generally, probably the biggest one is, are the trees too close to my house? Mm-hmm. Um, do I need to thin these trees back? But it, it's, it can be things like, is my roof going to survive a wildfire? Is it the right uh, type of material? Um, one of the things I look at a lot with people is their landscaping, what kind of plant material they have. Um, up close to the house and out in their landscaping and is that appropriate for you know if you live in what we call the the wildland urban interface so an area where you're more likely to uh, have fire come through and you have the the appropriate landscaping to not catch and burn during a wildfire in that scenario so so once these wildfires take place what really does that do for the forest health in those areas it depends on how intense the fire burns. A, a fire can be a nice light burn, and it, it benefits the forest. If it's a, a devastating wildfire, a canopy fire with a lot of fuel, it can actually uh, sterilize the soil, and that can set back the forest quite a bit if, if it can't grow new trees right away. Okay, so wildfires actually can play a role in helping to regenerate those forested areas a little bit. Yeah, yeah, historically... Um, before, um, you know, we're, we're on a 10 to 20 year fire driven um, ecosystem or with that timeline, y- you know, you have a lot less fuels because fires are burning a lot of the understory and, and reducing the fuels overall. And so a lot of the larger trees would live through those fires and it would kind of clean the forest floor and they were less intense, like Gar said. So they weren't fires that would sterilize everything and kill everything. Um, so they tended to stay on the forest floor and clean it up without proper forest management we put out fires as much as we can to protect people and homes Um, these fires can be a lot more intense and and do a lot more damage to not only the forest but to you know people and homes and Mm -hmm. 
And so we do offer a free FireWise assessment to any Spokane County residents. They don't have to. There's no special application process or anything like that, correct? Correct, yep. Wonderful. So they just got to get in touch with us at our website, sccd.org, or call in, and we'll get those set up for them for free? Oh, yeah, for free. Well, they pay taxes, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So how did that whole FireWise program really come about? Firestorm happened in 1991, and we had, I think, over 50 fire starts all over the county, and we were really limited on the resources we had to fight all these fires. And so one thing that FireWise does is to help educate people and homeowners to not only make their their place more FireWise, but to uh, hopefully... If, there, if we are thin on resources, that the, their home would better survive and potentially not burn. Yeah, there was, during that, we had 60 mile an hour winds during firestorm. We lost over, over 100 homes. Thankfully, only one death, 35,000 acres burned um, just on one day. And so, um, yeah, when you've got that, that much fire burning in the county, um, the more people can do to protect themselves without emergency services helping them uh, the better and so that's one of the things that firewise does is to help educate the public and hopefully they can prepare their property to survive a fire and and not just their property but you know firewise we like to get into evacuation and access and there's a lot of little smaller details that we look at too as far as you know always having a plan b to get out of there and very important so what would you say the response has been from the Spokane County residents this year with FireWise? How many assessments do you think you thought you've roughly done? I think we, I started, they started getting pretty pretty busy around May, and I think by the end of this month we'll be up at about 100 I've done so far. About average. You know, some years I've it's about 75. I think one year I was pushing close to 200, but... Yeah, I'd say it's it's right in there. Are there any certain or specific areas within the Spokane County that you really are, try to go after just because they have a little bit more of those threats or more of those risks? Uh, definitely, yeah. You know, up north around Deer Park, the Four Mound area, um, Nine Mile area, Medical Lake area, those are all areas that have uh, obviously more um, trees, but they also have a lot of issues with reproduction pine where the trees are growing really close together, thickets of trees that need thinned out, and or areas that just haven't had a fire, um, like we were talking about earlier. And so there's and there's been no um, management done mm-hmm. um, as far as hand, you know hand pruning or, or thinning. And so a lot of fuels on the ground that need to be either dealt with, cleaned up, or fire is going to come through and it's going to be devastating. So I'd rather have us clean it up ahead of time and reduce the fuels that way than mother nature do it so so obviously firewise is a um, huge program that we offer here at the district what are some other programs and technical assistance that you guys offer as part of your department but before we leave firewise i just wanted to add that our best partner in spokane county with the firewise program is the washington department of natural resources they Mm -hmm. ultimately administer the firewise program at the state level but they also have a cost share program to help landowners thin their forests. And that's super important to be done. Uh, You know, what you do on your property during a fire greatly affects what happens on your neighbor's property. So if you're prepared, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a less impact to your neighbor. And and the DNR has put a lot of money on the ground with their uh, thinning program, the cost share program, which roughly pays 50% of the 
of the work. So it's a great program. And, and uh, when Ben shows up, if that's one of the resources he can send people to to uh, get help. Yeah. I like to consider myself kind of the messenger of that program. So I will um, at least get people started going along on that path if that's something they're interested in doing and put them in contact with one of the DNR foresters for their for their area and um, yeah it's a great a great resource for uh, the general public and, and anybody that owns trees. So what other programs and technical assistance besides FireWise do you guys also offer with the forestry department here? So if you have trees or forests and, and you have concerns about them and you live in Spokane County it's as easy as calling us and uh, Ben or I can come out and take a look. If it's a forest issue we do what we call a walk in the woods where we'll walk around and look at their property address their management concerns but then also tell them what we think you know the layperson might not see what we see so we can inform them on what we think uh, ought to be concerns for them uh, if it's a, a landowner who's really interested in managing their property their forested property we encourage them to start off with making a, a management plan and they can do that in several different ways we can hook them up with a consulting forester that'll do it for them we can send them to WSU's Coach Stewardship Program, which is a, a program WSU offers where once a week for like eight weeks, these landowners come to a class and learn all about forestry, enough to write their own management plan. And then there's another option I offer people where I will give them uh, a management plan template and guidance documents, and then I can do a site visit. and and identify, like I said, the uh, issues of concerns and maybe help them delineate the stands in their forest and then answer questions as they fill out this template so they can do the management plan themselves. And then after that, we try to put them in touch with other uh, resources like the DNR's thinning program, mm -hmm. the uh, USDA NRCS uh, agency has an EQIP program environmental quality incentive program that we can send people to that not only will it help them thin it'll help them plant and it'll help them take care of other natural resource uh, concerns like erosion from a road or something like that so we try and hook them up with uh, with those resources so that's in the forestry part Ben and I are both arborists and practice urban forestry in the county as well so we can come out and look at individual trees in an urban setting and you know diagnosed insect disease issues uh, and if we can't figure it out we have friends over at WSU and we can take it over there and and get get the the right answer and get them in the right direction for figuring out what they need to do uh, one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest requests for assistance came in in the in the uh, urban area came after that windstorm we had in 2015 and so Ben and I are certified arborists we're also qualified tree risk assessors and we lose so many trees in those big storms that we want to save the ones that don't need to come down so we can come out and give you an independent third-party opinion about whether that tree that you're worried about is safe or not uh, you know there's uh, a lot of tree services that pop up after an event like that and they can be unscrupulous and they'll scare people 
And so we see a storm after the storm where lots of trees come out unnecessarily because everybody's scared after these big trees mm-hmm. fall on their houses and stuff. Oh, yeah. So as a, a, an effort to uh, maintain the big trees in our urban forest, we provide that service as well. So insect, disease, uh, tree risk, those are the kind of things we can help with in an urban environment as well. Well, that's great. So you don't necessarily have to have a huge forest on your property for you guys to come and help. I mean, it can just be, yeah, as simple as assessing a tree that might be dangerous in a windstorm or anything. That's that's awesome. That's really great to know. I'm a South Hill girl, and yeah, when that windstorm came, man, that was pretty insane, pretty intense. It does make you look at trees a little bit differently after something like that. So, um, just, Could I just add one more thing? To yep. That? So, you know, the mantra in urban forestry is the right tree in the right place. So that's another way we can help people. If they're thinking about what kind of tree they want where, especially with our plant sale, right? Ben's great at going to somebody's house and recommending what kind of vegetation should be. He knows it, right? He knows if Mm -hmm. it's going to thrive there, if it's going to do well, if it needs a lot of maintenance or just a little bit, you know, and and he can tailor those suggestions to people uh, depending on what kind of effort they want to put into their landscape, those kind of things. So what are some things that homeowners can do just to manage like their backyard habitats in a safe and natural way? A safe way. So he, Garth kind of just touched on it, but right tree, right place. So planting the, the appropriate size tree under um, either you know, transmission lines or drop lines to the house. Um, so we don't want to we don't want, you know, trees are cute when they're little, but you, you never, a lot of people don't realize how big they're going to get. And, and so you don't want this tree to grow up and then it has to be topped or, or heavily limbed later on or even removed, which can get really expensive and, and become a fire danger as well. Um, back to kind of a firestorm, a lot of those fires that started that day were from tree branches hitting power lines. So mm. right tree, right place is a big thing. Um, another thing people can do is... Um, uh, drought tolerant, planting drought tolerant species, so zero scaping with native plants. Reduce the amount of water usage, but provide wildlife habitat. And there's there's ways to do it that it's can be really aesthetically pleasing. I I've been like to a lot of technical assistance visits where I'm looking at a tree that's dead or dying right next to a new shop, right? People mm-hmm. don't understand the impact that construction has on trees. Uh, tree roots can be out as far away from the tree as the tree is tall, even up to two times that height. So the roots are way out there. And, uh, you know, you've got a brand new shop and you put it right next to a tree and now the tree's dead where it would have been a lot easier if that tree couldn't have been uh, retained to take it out before you built the shop. Now it's going to cost you even more money because, you know, the shop's right there and you can't hit it with a tree when it's coming down so mm-hmm. there a lot of actually planning goes into uh, good trees in our community so that's another big issue I see. Um, Garth I've heard you um, talk about Tree City USA can you talk to us about that what is it? And sure so I have uh, agreements with the Department of Natural Resources in Washington and the Idaho Department of Lands to provide community forestry assistance to the small communities in the counties around us. And one of the programs that's a basic tree program, it's when a community is trying to start to take care of their trees, to properly manage their trees, is Tree City USA. It's got four standards. One's that you have to celebrate Arbor Day. 
One's you have to have a, a group either within the city or a volunteer group that helps manage trees. You have to have an ordinance on your city books that uh, basically says the tree in the community are going to be properly cared for. You can't just come and top a tree that's on public property. You can't just remove a tree on public property, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And the fourth uh, standard for Tree City USA is a budget, $2 per capita. So if you have 1,000 people in your town, you have to spend $2,000 annually to qualify for Tree City USA. So you've got to do these things every year, and you qualify every year. Uh, so you have to celebrate Arbor Day and, and uh, demonstrate that you've spent the budget. The other two, the ordinance uh, and the committee, once you set those up, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty good to go forward. And then they've got advanced stuff. They've got uh, growth awards for different activities that the communities do above and beyond those standards. And out of Tree City USA has grown Tree Line USA and Tree Campus USA. Hmm. So Whitworth is one of the campuses in Spokane County that's a Tree City USA. I work with Caleb. He's the arborist out there. He's got a, a guiding committee, and it's a really cool program out there at Whitworth. Uh, Avista is a Tree Line USA, and they do a lot of education. Avista is one of our best partners in the urban forestry program. They have supported us through the years. We used to have an Avista shade tree program that Ben ran where we were planting trees on the west side of homes to cool the home off in the summer mm -hmm. and then the leaves would drop and the sun could still get through to the home and warm it in the winter. That was a really neat program we had for quite a while with them. Uh, we've also you know had a program in the past with them where we were replacing trees that were improperly planted under power lines so we would uh, once these big trees had grown up into the power lines and had to be pruned so much that they became a high-risk tree, Avista would take them out and the city would grind the stumps and then we'd come in and plant what we call a utility-compatible tree, a tree that's only going to grow 25 feet tall and isn't going to get its head up into those power lines. So, yeah, out of th those are just great educational programs, Tree Line, Tree Campus, and Tree City. And so while we're kind of on the topic of partners that you guys work with, is there any, are there any other local partners that you kind of want to highlight that you work with throughout the year? You know, I, uh, the Lands Council has done great work in education. Uh, CAT at the Lands Council is incredible when it comes to working with kids and, and some of the uh, uh, activities I've seen her do with kids that really get into it. So uh, the the Lands Council's great. The city of Spokane has a great urban forestry program and, and has been great partners. We've done lots of different programs and projects with them through the years as well. Can you think of any others, Ben? So Suzy Tree Program is a program uh, with uh, Nancy McCarrow, and it is a program where she uh, will work with a group or a family or even an individual to plant a tree in recognition of um, possibly somebody that's passed away or or even a celebration, maybe um, like a graduation. Somebody's done something outstanding in their lives. And oh, wow. That's really special. We're going to have to link some information to that program on our Facebook page. Garth, I've also heard you talk about Community Canopy, which I'm also not super familiar with. So can you talk to me about that and tell me what that is? I can. I first uh, encountered Community Canopy when I was the community forestry assistant in North Idaho before I had this job. And it was a an educational group that was started by the urban forester in Post Falls and Coeur d'Alene. And those women created this program because they saw 
issues in our urban forest that were everywhere. It wasn't just in their community, it was in the whole region, North Idaho, Eastern Washington, and the issues they were seeing were improperly planted trees, improperly watered trees, and trees that weren't protected. And that might sound funny, uh, protecting a tree, but when you plant a tree, it is very vulnerable to weed whips and lawnmowers. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the reasons we see such a short lifespan of urban trees is because they get weed whipped and uh, we call it lawnmower blight, continuously hitting the tree and the live portion of the tree is right under the bark. So it's really easy to take a weed whip year, or, you know, week after week and basically girdle the tree. So they took those three issues and they created an educational program. And out of that, it's, it's grown uh, into Hayden, Idaho. When I got this job, I brought it over the state line into uh, Washington and Spokane's on board, Liberty Lake's on board. We have traditionally two workshops a year, spring and fall, to uh, help people better take care of their trees. And it's open to all people, and it usually draws a lot of arborists and people that work at the city. And we rotate these issues, p proper planting, watering, and then we've added a lot of stuff, uh, different issues as, as it's grown as well. Then they also put out a uh, newsletter twice a year that, that educates people on tree care, proper tree care as well. Stay tuned for more Rocks to Roots right after this. Summer and hot temperatures mean it's wildfire season. Don't wait until you see smoke in the air to prepare and educate your family, friends, and neighbors about techniques you can take to prevent catastrophic wildfire damage to your home and property by using FireWise principles. The Spokane Conservation District offers free FireWise risk assessments to Spokane County residents. You can schedule yours today by visiting sccd.org. A forester from the Spokane Conservation District will visit your property to evaluate your home's risk and provide you with a list of practical ways to reduce the threat of a wildfire. Take action and ownership in preparing and protecting your home against the threat of a wildfire by booking your free FireWise risk assessment today. Yep, you heard me. Free FireWise risk assessment. All you have to do is go to sccd.org to sign up today. Looking for something to do after work or on the weekends? Well, grab your friends and family and head out to the South Spokane Farm Corridor. The South Spokane Farm Corridor is a collection of 14 farms that have a wide variety of farm fresh products to offer, located south of I-90 along the Palouse Highway, headed towards Valley Ford and Spangle. You can pick up anything from organic produce to farm fresh eggs, honey, meat products, and even fresh cut flowers. It's sure to be a fun day filled with learning about today's food and farming culture. Get to know your local farmers and gain a better understanding of the quality of food you're consuming. Learn more about the partnering farms by visiting SouthSpokaneFarmCorridor.com or follow the South Spokane Farm Corridor on Facebook for weekly farm stand announcements and fresh sheets.
So I want to switch gears on you and I want to talk about the annual tree sale. I know that it is the largest revenue builder for the district. So can you kind of talk to us about the history of tree sale and how it's grown over the years? Um, so I, th- I believe we're going on our 51st year that we've been doing it. Wow. Um, Primarily in the beginning, it was they sold, uh, we sold just natives, native conifer trees and some native shrubs. But over the years, we, especially actually since Garth came along, we've been trying to do a lot more ornamental trees. And then even within the last five, six years, we were trying to get a lot more edibles, things like blueberries and raspberries and and even edible natives going. We sell about 100,000 seedlings a year, give or take, and um, usually about anywhere um, from 40 to 50 different species and changes a little bit from year to year um, and about half of those are natives uh, at this point. It used to be a lot more native heavy but we're, we're kind of about 50-50 now natives and ornamentals and, and edibles. We sell, we sell them pretty cheap. You're not paying for uh, pots and the soil and the labor so we can sell them a little cheaper than because they are bare root so our pricing is pretty good. And we try to change it up from year to year too. We don't we don't want to have you know the same things every year. So we'll last year we may have had Scotch pine. Well, this year we'll have um, Austrian pine, things like that. So we'll we'll try to have a good variety. Um, but we are also limited by our our zone. Um, you know, there's only so many species that'll grow in, in this part of the country, and and so yeah, it's a it's a really cool program. I I enjoy doing it a lot. Um, COVID really. This last year was a little bit of a struggle. COVID kind of changed some of the ways we do things, and hopefully we'll get back to it the way it used to be a little bit. But I think we learned some things from COVID, too, that we might implement in our future tree sales, too, as well. So, <laughs> My favorite part of the tree sale is the native reforestation component of it. So when I got here, it was already built for us. The, the previous forester had uh, built this program where he collected local seed so with our native trees the closer you can come to where uh, the tree was from that you plant the seeds from the better off that tree is going to be so we're in the 830 seed zone which is roughly our county it overlaps a little bit but we're not a huge timber area right there's not a huge timber industry in Spokane so there's not a lot of places that grow trees for Spokane and so we've kind of stepped into that uh, and, and fulfilled that need where we collect the seed, we send it over to uh, a nursery on the coast, they process it, they grow it out. We have several different sizes of these reforestation trees. We have plugs and plug ones, and it's all the native conifers, right? The ponderosa pine, western larch, Douglas fir, those kind of things. And Ben sells thousands of those to individual landowners that are either trying to reforest after a fire or after a harvest, or a lot of times we see people who are changing their property from an ag-centric uh, property back into a forest, and they'll use our trees to do that. So that's, this, that program has had a huge impact on our county over the years. Wow. So can't get much native than that. So you guys actually do collect the seeds from this area and then send them over to be... I've got something. So Ben manages a a seed bank of all these seeds that we've collected, and and they're good for a while, right? We can hold them in cold storage over in the the nursery on the coast. But larch trees are something that we're getting really low on. So if you live in Spokane Mm -hmm. County and you have a larch tree that has a lot of cones on it, 
give us a call. So I want to ask, do each of you remember your very first tree sale and what was it like? So my first tree sale was a really weird experience. When I got the job here, I didn't think I had ever been to the conservation district, to this building before. And, you know, the tree sale is this huge undertaking where we move all the cars out of the shop and, and we bring all of these thousands of trees into these coolers and we set up the shop in a different way, right? We, we set up these sawhorses and put all of these orders out on these sawhorses. And once that got set up the first year, I walked out there and I had this really weird deja vu because I had been to the conservation district sale before in my past years ago. My girlfriend then, wife now, had drugged me there to, to <laughs> get something, but it was just this oh, weird, wow, I really had been here before. So that was my first tree sale experience. But it is a lot of work when you think about 100,000 trees and all of those trees come in bags on a big semi that we unload and everybody that's here gets out there and starts bucking bales of of trees you know and it's like yeah i get sore that's like the wake up in spring for you you know when you start moving everything again so yeah tree sales great it's it's a lot of work um, a lot of tree counting um usually we'll we'll do some of it in-house but we also have the master gardeners come over and help us and that they're really um really helpful and knowledgeable um one of the things I was trying to remember earlier is, um, you know, when I'm out doing FireWise assessments or, or just a TA um, um, for people, it's really cool to see that they have trees from our sale maybe 20 years ago. And, and I know it's from our sale because it's just an uncommon species or it's about that right age for, for um, you know, when, we, when we, had, we sold that particular species that year. And so... It's always neat to see that that they throw those all these trees that we're putting out in the community that a lot of them are are making it. You kind of wonder how many are going to live and how many are going to die. But yeah, there's a a few landowners in particular. Their you know their whole 20, 30 acres is just full of our trees and shrubs. So it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. This year, so this was my second tree sale being here, and it is just such an amazing thing to be a part of just because of the size of it and how large it really is. And so I have a few statistics from this year. So, and mind you, despite COVID and despite the setbacks that we had with those regulations, we distribute the trees within two days, which is insane, but somehow we make it work. But the, just this year, we had 45 different tree and shrub species. We had over 1,000 orders placed and packed. And then, yeah, Ben, like you mentioned, we had 90, over 90,000 seedlings distributed. I know that you did mention that typically we rely on the master gardeners and we weren't able to do that this year. So it was really cool to see how our team here in-house got to rally together and get that accomplished. But I really do want to kind of break down the process a little bit more to give, to let people in on just how big of a event this is throughout the year. So the pre-order period starts February 1st. And then when do you typically receive the trees? Um, We'll start receiving them as early as March, March 1st, usually all the way up until probably the last week of March. I get trees from probably, not year to year, but probably about five to six different wholesale nurseries. We hold them, as we receive them, we put them right into a cooler for cold storage, and we try to hold them um, the least amount of time as possible. So sometimes it can be 
pretty tight where we're getting trees, you know, at the very end of March and then our tree sells first week in April. So, um, but that, that's a benefit for the, the customer and for the tree survival. And so typically what is that time period that you have to get them packed in, in each individual order? We pack for about four days and then on the fifth day, the customers start coming and picking them up. They come right out of the cooler. We set them out by species and we'll go through and you, it's kind of, you just pick and pull. But it's, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a messy job, but it's fun too. We try to make it fun. And going forward, um, you know, we are going to be moving to a new location and I think our tree sale is going to get even bigger and vendors and events going on and it's going to grow even bigger than it already is, so. That's pretty crazy because, I mean, I just wrote off some pretty big numbers, so getting even bigger is just, I mean, that's great. I'm glad more trees in our community and for reforestation, that's great. So can you kind of give us a preview of what might be, what tree species might be available at this year's sale? We're still ordering our inventory um, right now, but I can pick out maybe a few. We will have blueberries again this year because they seem to be really popular. I'll give you a couple oddball ornamentals that we haven't had in the past ones called the um, fringe tree another one we actually had a couple of years ago but it was really popular and you don't see them a lot is the japanese tree lilac Ooh. it's a white, white flowered uh, lilac more of a, a tree form Corn- cornelian cherry dogwood is another one i don't think we've had um, or at least not that i can remember uh, we're going to try to do uh, go- as an edible gooseberry again but a different variety and then we'll have a lot of the usual suspects you know a lot of the natives like your your elderberry and your serviceberry and mock orange and kinnikinick are we bringing back Asp- purple lilac this year we will have purple lilac yep, to go along with our our japanese tree lilac and then like i said i'm still putting together some of that order so but i've got about 75 percent of it ordered at this point and then we always have our like garth was saying earlier we we're always going to have our our four conifer reforestation species our ponderosa pine our grand fir douglas fir and western larch and we always have those in two different sizes uh, plug one which is our larger size and then a smaller eight eight cubic inch plug and then i do take requests from year to year there's certain species um you know, I can't please everybody all the time, but if you have a special request or it's something we haven't had in the sale for a while, I'll try to find that and incorporate it into the sale. Also, I want to talk about how big the trees are when customers receive them. They're not full-grown trees. They're just seedlings. No, they're seedlings, um, but it really varies by species, and it also varies different nurseries sell them at different sizes, too. So... You know, one year we might get a paper birch, and it might be six feet tall. And then the next year we might get it from a different vendor, or it might even be that same nursery, but sold us a, or given us a smaller stock, and it might be only, you know, 18 inches tall. So it, it and some of that I don't, I try to order by size and try to keep it um, pretty standard from year to year, but sometimes we just don't know that until the trees actually arrive. And you can't beat the pricing. No. Um, majority of everything we sell is uh, five trees for $10. And they um, have to be bought in orders of five, correct? They do. They do. Well, I know. I'm excited. And I'm already kind of mapping and planning my backyard to see where I can put those purple lilacs and a few other things. So very excited for the 2021 sale. And again, um, I know that pre-order period starts around February 1st, yep. and then it goes until about mid-March, correct? Mid-March. 
Awesome. So you did mention that you have master gardeners that help um, and volunteer with the tree sale, but are there any other op- volunteer opportunities within your department? I know that sometimes you guys do some projects with the Eagle Scouts, correct? Yeah, we've got a long history of doing planting projects with not just Eagle Scouts, but any other interested group, school groups, church groups, uh, those kind of things. And now that we have the, the new property over at 8th, we have endless planting opportunities. So that's where we're going to concentrate our volunteer planting projects going forward. Uh, we did. It, we even had an Eagle Scout project this spring that helped us heal in all the leftover plants from the plant sale that we couldn't sell into our, our heal-in nursery over at 8th. So. Well, I'm glad that you just brought up the new property. So very exciting news about the new conservation campus that is underway right now. And what are some things that your department's really looking forward to implementing over at the property and what have you already begun to implement over there? So I had the best job in the world before this, and then my boss bought me a forest, right? So I've got (laughs) 35 acres of forest over at 8th Avenue that we're managing. And when we got there, the biggest issue was it was overpopulated. The trees were too close. It was high risk for fire. So we spent a couple of years thinning out the stands, and that was our, our first priority over there. And now we've kind of shifted to the next biggest uh, issue on that property, which is noxious weeds. It's got a long industrial history, and it was pretty hammered over the years. And one of the results of that is we lost a lot of the native vegetation underneath the, the pine trees over there, and it was replaced by noxious weeds. And we've done a lot over the last couple of years to address that issue. We do a small amount of spraying. We get groups and, and do some pulling over there. We've had goats uh, running over there for two years, eating weeds. And then the thing that's been most successful for us is we've been able to have our partners that are arborists uh, and, and tree companies dump their chips over there. And we use those chips to smother the weeds. Mm. So we'll put a foot or two of chips and it'll give us a hold on those weeds for a couple of years. Whereas the goats and the spray and the pulling might only give us one year's worth of control. And so the, the chips that uh, we're putting out over there are um, doing a few things for us. They're, they're suppressing the noxious weeds, but there's a real lack of good topsoil over there. That whole property is either cut or fill, and, uh, and it's not really quality soil. But these chips, as they break down, will provide us with some topsoil. So Ben and I have been working in the green zone and we've had chips out here for 15 years and Ben calls it black gold. The soil that's created under those chips is just phenomenal. So that's hopefully gonna be another benefit of of, uh, what's going on with our chipping over there. And, And as you know, the building's going up now, so that's really nice to see, but there's a lot of work to be done over there. It's 50 acres and that's a lot of property and a lot of resource concerns to be addressed. So we got a lot of work ahead of us over there as well. Now, you just mentioned an area called the Green Zone. And for those listeners that aren't familiar, what is the Green Zone? So the Green Zone is the landscape around the Conservation District here at 210 North Havana. And it is uh, a lot of demonstration sites that uh, people can come and look at. There's one that's a ornamental grass bed where if they're thinking well maybe I want some of that tall cool looking grass they can come and look at that kind of stuff. Ben built a storm garden for me that collects all the water off the roof and it 
pumps it over into a little uh, storm garden that drains into the soil instead of running off. Uh, there's uh, wetland and uh, semi-dry wetland demonstrations all around here, different wetlands that get a different amount of water throughout the year, and you can see what the composition of plants are out there. We've got an arboretum with a lot of different trees out there. Uh, Stacy, our educator, has created a pollinator garden out there that's really neat. We partner with the master composters. They've got a corner of the green zone where they do a composting demonstration. Uh, Tim, Kohlhoff, Tim Kohlhoff's our friend over at WSU Extension, and he uh, manages the master gardeners, and they have a raised bed demonstration site over there where they're growing gardens for us in the, in the summer over there and showing people how it's done. So there's a lot going on in the green zone. It's just a really cool place to come and walk around, too. Mm -hmm. It's like an oasis in... in downtown Spokane so and we hope to move a lot of these concepts and ideas and then and new ones over to the new property eighth and so um, yeah so we'll have s similar things going on over there demonstration sites and hopefully our our own arboretum and um, well we will have that and uh, <laughs> well don't you all don't you already because um, we do already. I know that we yeah. talked to, with Vicki in the first episode about the all of those surplus trees that weren't able to go at this year's tree sale just because of COVID. So that's our nursery. That's our um, the beginnings of our our nursery, and then but ultimately we'll have a large mature um, or semi mature um, arboretum full of different species that do well in Spokane County. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit again because Garth, I know that we organize the Inland Tree and Landscape Conference, which typically takes place at the beginning of the year. And so I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that conference, what it's all about, why we decided to start the conference. So we have a history of providing education to both arborists and small forest landowners. And since I came on, we've done a lot of different things and we called it tree school and it would be events throughout the year you know one here one there and the reason that I wanted to do the inland tree and landscape conferences because when I was coming up in the industry they had a turf tree and landscape conference over in Coeur d'Alene every year and it was a great event and through the years it just kind of went away and we don't have this arboricultural education event where people can come and network and see the other tree geeks out there and know what's going on. So I thought it was important to start that again. And so two years ago, we had the first one at the Inland Tree and Landscape Conference. Uh, we took turf out because I am not a huge uh, <laughs> fan of turf grass. Uh, and neither are trees generally, but uh, we provide educational events so that arborists can get continuing education units. So if you're a certified arborist, you have to maintain your certification by getting education credits throughout a four-year period. I believe it's four years. So that's pretty important. Uh, I was really proud of the 2020 Inland Tree and Landscape Conference. We got Ed Gilman here, here and Ed Gilman is the the most prolific and important researcher in arboriculture in my career. He has taught us how to plant trees, how to properly prune trees, and maintain them through the years. And he's emeritus at University of Florida now, but to have somebody of that caliber at our conference was just incredible to me. And I know that the other arborists that went to it felt the same way. You know, we even had 
a meet and greet, you know, at, at uh, Annie Fanny's, and it was awesome. Ed showed up and drank beer with us, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just one of the guys. It was really cool, and uh, thank you for putting that together, because that was awesome. Oh, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, this year with, with what's going on, we're really scaling back. We don't, we don't see the ability to have an in-person event, which is what I really want to have. So, you know, we'll probably have some virtual educational events, smaller uh, affairs than, than the conference. And then hopefully, you know, in 2022, <laughs> we can bring it back in, and uh, uh, do well. So, you know, you were talking partners, and in that event, Spokane Community College is a huge partner for us and mm. their environmental programs there. They really support us, uh, allowing us to have uh, that SCC is a venue for it, but then also supporting us with volunteer efforts to the students and, and mm -hmm. the staff there. So. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Definitely looking forward to 2022, and we'll make it fun this year. We'll figure out a way to <laughs> make it just as great as 2020. <laughs> What's on the horizon for the forestry department? I know that you just launched a new pilot kind of program called the HIZ, which is Home Ignition Zone program. So what is that all about, Ben? So Home Ignition Zone is a, an arm off of FireWise. The Home Ignition Zone is the area around a home or a structure that is five feet out from the foundation. And in, in this area, we like to teach people to really reduce any combustible material. And so this can be, just a real basic example, a lot of people will have flower beds with bark mulch in this area. Um, and we're trying to teach people to use gravel instead of bark mulch or some sort of a decorative gravel. So um, the HIZ program is a cost share program that we encourage people to use some of these firewise um, recommendations and practices in their HIZ zone. And so will cost share with landowner or homeowner to implement. So it might be something like they, they remove that bark mulch and um, replace it with gravel and maybe some firewise plant material, um, pull out those junipers, and we'll cost share with them to, to get that accomplished. So it's, it's a small program. We're still kind of developing it and, and growing it. And I really like the HIZ program. This is Ben's baby, and it's a result of the research that's been done that's shown that what we do within five feet of our homes really affects our the, the home's ability to survive in a wildfire. And so Ben's taken that concept and applied it to a cost share program, and is, it, it will really be beneficial uh, to the county going forward, I believe. And it's um, just to kind of name off maybe three or four of the real basic practices. So one's um, rock and block hardscaping, so that would be gravel, um, using gravel instead of bark mulch, using... Um, you know, keystone bricks or block or concrete instead of like railroad ties or, or um, any kind of a combustible material. Things like um, gutter improvement or replacement. Gutters have the potential to collect a lot of embers and so there's some strategies with gutters that you can do to improve your, your fire ignition potential. Um, some of the other things, deck, deck skirting, skirting around your deck so that embers can't get blown underneath the deck. Even it's not in your HIZ but another um, practice is just having a good um, address sign and well it's kind of outside the HIZ but that's another thing we'll cost share and it's pretty small and cheap to do but a lot of people don't have a good address sign and time saves lives and property and so anything you can do to help emergency services find you sooner. Wow super yeah. important just me as a homeowner now I'm like scanning my whole <laughs> perimeter of my house right now. 
You're good. I know. <laughs> yeah, but but there are those are things that you don't necessarily think about. I'm I'm kind of like I just want my yard to look pretty all mm. at all times to make my neighbors happy. So yeah, to have you guys be able to come out and have those technical goggles on and really assess the risks is super important. And it's great that it's a free program and all of your technical assistance are available to Spokane County residents. So very, very cool stuff that we've been talking about. Can I tell you about a project I've got coming up that I'm really excited for? Oh, yes, of course. So the idea of tree equity is huge in urban forestry at this time. If we look at where trees are in our communities, they aren't uh, spread out equitably among the population. And you can usually look at a community and see where the trees aren't coinciding with where the low-income residents are living. So the project that I'm working on now, we're putting out a contract to get a GIS contractor to create a couple of layers for me, showing the tree canopy within all the communities in the county, where the trees are, and another layer to go on top of that that identifies where the low-income residents are. And we're going to address that issue through planting projects and and, uh, partnering with all of the municipalities in the county to help them realize that where they plant trees can really affect their communities and improve their communities. That's something I'm really excited for. And tell me again what that program is called. I'm going to call it the Canopy Project. The Canopy Project, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, awesome. Well, just more great stuff. For more information about our forestry department here at the Spokane Conservation District, just head over to the website, which is sccd.org. And also make sure to follow the Spokane Conservation District on Facebook and Instagram and also Twitter. And we will also be posting all of the great resources and some more information on some of these topics on our Rocks to Roots podcast Facebook page and also the Instagram page. So look out for that. And in closing, we like to do a little bit of a spitfire round with our guests just to kind of get a little bit, a little bit more info about you, kind of, you know, feel your personalities out a little bit. Are you guys down for it? No. <laughs> <laughs> You have no choice. I'll give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is going to be fun, you guys. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. What is a food that you can't live without? Cheese. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Ben and Jerry's ice cream. (laughs) Any specific flavor? Well, you know, the problem with Ben and Jerry's is you can't always get your favorite flavor when you mm. go to the store. That's my biggest problem. Uh, <laughs> but I had an espresso uh, oh, one the other day that was just incredible. Oh, chocolate therapy is my mainstay, but <laughs> I try to branch out from that. <laughs> so what is your favorite tree species? Oh, boy. And you can um, only pick one. <laughs> oh, that's a really tough one. Uh We'll just go with the western larch. It's a, it's a, it's one of our natives. It's a cool tree because it's, it's a deciduous conifer, um, beautiful tree. Up at, when you're up camping or hunting, fishing in the fall, you, you see them standing out in the on the mountainside, yellow as they turn yellow in the fall. Um, so really cool tree. And that's the one we need seeds for, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Another plug. So we we need seeds yeah, for yeah, that yeah. that tree, for Ben's favorite tree. <laughs> one of my favorite trees is a ginkgo tree, but I've got to tell this story on Ben. So Ben moved a few years back, and I helped him move. 
And I'm not kidding. I had a truck and a trailer, and I took two loads in my truck and trailer of potted stock that he had gathered over the Ben's got a real problem. <laughs> and, and every time I see him toting another tree home, it's like, don't tell your wife it came from here. Or, or, but uh, it's great to have somebody like that in the department because the, the love of trees is there, and, and it makes it nice to work with someone like mm. that and, and to do things. So. Oh, that's great. Okay, what is your favorite movie? Tombstone. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that one. Um, What's the most recent movie you've watched, then, Ben? Um, what, what did we watch? Oh, we actually, from the 80s, we watched Goonies the other night. Oh, that's a great <laughs> that's a, movie. That's a classic, yeah. yeah. I've watched that a hundred times. That was my favorite movie. Oh, that's a really great movie. Okay, are you guys early risers or night owls? I'm the early riser and Ben I'm isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a night owl. I'm more productive at the end of the day than I hmm. am in the beginning. So, Brennan, what are you? Uh, I'm both because I have five-year-old twins oh. and, <laughs> and I podcast, edit at night, a little bit of both. So you just don't sleep <laughs> is what you're saying? Exactly, yes. <laughs> um, what's your favorite candy? Um, I used to like uh, Butterfinger a lot, mm. but I try to avoid candy these days. Um, <laughs> you know, just a just a classic hard candy like a Jolly Rancher or something like that. Mm. But yeah, I don't nothing nothing that I just gotta go and get a yeah. Mm. <laughs> go, gotta have gotta, a hankering for it, yeah. all the time. There's this thing called, I think it's a dark Milky Way, mm. and I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yum. I love dark chocolate. It's got like a Milky Way with fudge in it. It's just incredible. So I have to ask this question because we are like now taking a poll from all of our guests. Um, <laughs> Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. I'll agree. They have more timeless music. Gosh, I, I, Rolling Stones I love the sweeping, sweeping I, I, the polls. I, I think they're like seven for seven. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And my final question. Is Bigfoot real? Depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> uh, no. Sometimes. You, you've never seen prints or anything? like. I want to believe. I yeah, want to believe, too. <laughs> But I need more concrete evidence. I figure if he if he's real, he's doing a real good job of um, you know you'd, social you'd, distancing. Yeah, he's doing <laughs> right. a real good job of social distancing. Leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, you guys. It was great to talk to you and learn more about the forestry department. And again, for more information about the Spokane Conservation District's forestry department, just head over to sccd.org. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. 
You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rocks to Roots. Please make sure to subscribe to our Rocks to Roots channel. And also, more importantly, please leave us a review. That's the only way we can get better.